tonight, I am going to deal with just some questions that I've had. I could be strange, and uh, nobody else has them, but I figure, you know, maybe someone else is thinking the way I think. So I'm titling this, Who Will You Believe? And this is kind of came from, I've been just pondering a whole lot of stuff in my head since we've had this time apart and trying to, you know, figure a few little extra things out. So I'm wondering, are there biblical contradictions? Are there things that are said in the Bible that then contradict other things? And of course, we've been taught, no, there's no contradictions, right? Because uh, that would seem a little crazy if he would contradict himself. And then I went on to, and I shared this with some of you guys when you guys came by, um, what if every single thing in our lives was not something that God orchestrated? What if every pain and tragedy wasn't there to increase your faith? Do we need to understand or put an understanding on things to keep us in control? Is this why we have put everything on God because it's easier than just not knowing? Just randomness. What if stuff just happens for no reason, but simply the odds of living in this world? Would that make you trust God more or less? We all have had to struggle with that good scripture that says all things work together for the good. I think every person, if they're honest, struggles with that, with the many things that befall us in life of how is this working somehow for some good. Mainly because it's just hard to understand and us not understanding completely takes us out of control. And we don't really like being out of control. Like we say God's in control, but we would really like him to join with us and let us be in control with him. The fact that he be pushing us out of the, the way sometimes is a little irritating. So we trying to figure the whole thing out and put meaning to things. And I think we've made up some stuff so that we can be in control. But what if the good is something we never really fully comprehend until we get to heaven, when we know all things? What if he waits till then? What do we do with it? Do we let that keep hindering us from what God wanted us to achieve because we simply don't understand? What if he's not going to give us full understanding? Because maybe he knows we really couldn't un understand it anyway, or we couldn't deal with it. Maybe he is a little smarter than us. Wow, what a thought. Can you fully love, trust, and serve God without knowing? I have been trying to learn what it is that God really is trying to teach us with the various scriptures and the lives that are in the Bible. Are we to take every example in the Bible and apply it to our lives literally? Or are some of them there to just teach us a bigger lesson? Now don't get me wrong, I'm not questioning the scriptures and all that kind of stuff. I truly do believe the good book. But I'm just simply inquiring in his temple, as the good David said. 
you know, can, can we inquire in the temple? Can I ask some questions? Now that I've entered into this place where I feel like we are in tune with one another, now that I'm in this relationship with you, can I borrow your ear to just ask you a few questions that's been on my mind? Because, see, now I trust you enough, I believe in you enough for me to be able to give you everything that I've been thinking. I'm not scared no more. I'm not scared that my questions will offend God, that I'll make him mad because I don't simply understand. Now I believe he's like, bring it on. Let's work this thing out together because I want you to know me. I want this to be clear to you, what I'm trying to get you guys to learn. So I, I just ponder now. Um, I wonder if we have missed the forest for the trees. That we've gotten so concentrated on every little detail of one tree, it's a huge forest out there and we don't see it. It's like going to an art gallery show and you get stuck at the first picture and you're looking at it and it's beautiful and it's intricate and you have dissected it and it's all these other pictures in the gallery and we never take the time to look at its beauty, to research it, to find out how beautiful the other things can be. Now, does it take away from the beauty of the first picture? No, but can't we add to the rest of it? Just wondering, just wondering. Have we seen everything but really seen nothing? Have we heard everything but really we ain't heard nothing? Have we been fooling ourselves with cliches and falsities and status quos that we have missed the very lessons that God wanted us to learn? We don't want to be like the chidings in Isaiah. They were mentioned again in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Again, just, just let's talk about this. Mark 4, turn to that, 4 and 9. And this is when Christ teaches about the farmer who sows. Now, we've all read this and all that, but, you know, I like to go back and see if I can find something else out. So we're at Mark 9, Mark 4, excuse me, and 9. And this is Jesus speaking. He starts with, are you listening to this, really listening? Now, he had told this parable before. He had to ask the folks, are you listening? As if he knew, y'all didn't get it, because I can look at your face and tell you didn't get it. He says in 10, now, when they were off by themselves, those who were close to him, along with the 12, asked about the stories. He told them, you've been given insight into the kingdom, God's kingdom. You know how it works, but to those who can't see it yet, everything comes in stories, creating readiness, nudging them toward receptive insight. These are people whose eyes are open but don't see a thing, whose ears are open but don't understand a word, who avoid making an about face and getting forgiven. Hmm. He continued, do you see how this story works? All my stories work this way. Now he's trying to tell them, the next time I tell the story, pay attention. This is how I work. Now take note to the fact that when they got by himself, the ones that were close to him asked him again, what you talking about? Because I heard you saying that, and you know, I didn't get it. So can you tell me again? We act like we're not supposed to ask Jesus questions. Hmm. 
So we're going to go through. He's going to tell the story one more time and, and change the words a little bit for us to get it. The farmer plants the word. Some people are like the seed that falls on the hardened soil of the road. No sooner do they hear the word than Satan snatches away what has been planted in them. And some are like the seed that lands in the gravel. When they first hear the word, they respond with great enthusiasm. But there is such shallow soil of character that when the emotions wear off and some difficulty arrives, there is nothing to show for it. And that's why we got to be careful getting excited and be all about emotions, but you ain't learn nothing. The seed cast in the weeds represents the ones who hear the kingdom's news, but are overwhelmed with the worries about all the things they have to do and all the things they want to get. The stress strangles what they heard and nothing comes of it. But the seed planted in the good earth represents those who hear the word, embrace it, and produce a harvest beyond their wildest dreams. Now we have read that and have missed what it's really saying because why don't we have life beyond our wildest dreams? If we the good soil, because we all claim to be the good soil, nobody wants to be the other soil. Some folks have summed this up to be about the new birth alone. That the only thing we're supposed to grab is the new birth. Well, y'all, the rest of y'all didn't miss the soil. No, he's talking about the whole totality of his message. Did you get everything? Because are you the one who's enthusiastic? You can jump and run and, and, and do all that, but then the moment you walk out, you're in the same spot? Are you the one who you're sitting in service and you're so overwhelmed with all the worries that you can't even receive nothing? You can't even sit down and read the word on your own because you're thinking about this, this, and that? And finding the contradictions in your Bible the way you think they are? See, I was one of them. Um, how dare any of us try to sum God up into a few verses? To suggest that he's not the totality of the 66 is rude. To sum him up and act like we got just a foothold on God and we know what he's doing and how it's going to work, that is just so foul. And we need to repent. But I think that it's the ploy of Satan to get every sect into their thing and for us to separate and for me to judge you and judge you and judge you and no one's right but me. That's just devil. Because what does he come to divide? and conquer but we get so arrogant that the devil can't get me no he all up in here because you didn't divide it and you you didn't ready to kill somebody because they don't agree with you isn't it god that does all the work not us isn't he the one who's in control and gets to choose who he wants to be in his kingdom not us so who are we to judge and choose who's in it and who's not because now we're stepping into the place where we see everything, but we don't see nothing. And we hearing all this stuff, we ain't really heard nothing. Again, Paul had this problem with the Jews. He was arrested. He had to go appeal to Caesar. Look, I ain't even done nothing. Caesar's like, all right, let him go. I'm really paraphrasing that real quick. Um, and then he went on to teach the Jews about Christ. Acts 28, 24. 
He's teaching them, trying to persuade them, trying to tell them about the good Jesus. 24, it says, some of them were persuaded by what he said, but others refused to believe a word of it. When the unbelievers got cankerous and started bickering with each other, Paul interrupted, I have just one more thing to say to you. The Holy Spirit sure knew what he was talking about when he addressed our ancestors through Isaiah the prophet. Go to this people and tell them this. You're going to listen with your ears, but you won't hear a word. You're going to stare with your eyes, but you won't see a thing. These people are blockheads. They stick their fingers in their ears so they won't have to listen. They screw their eyes shut so they won't have to look. So they won't have to deal with me face to face and let me heal them. Then Jesus, he went on to give the same chidings, but he flipped it just a little bit. John 5 and 39. And realize he's constantly talking to the so-called church folks. Us that got it together who know the law, who know the words, who knows all this stuff. He says, you have your heads in your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there. But you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me. And here I am standing right before you, and you aren't willing to receive from me the life you say you want. I'm not interested in crowd approval. And do you know why? because I know you and your crowds. I know that love, especially God's love, is not on your working agenda. I came with the authority of my father and you either dismiss me or avoid me. If another came acting self-important, you would welcome him with open arms. How do you expect to get anywhere with God when you spend all your time jockeying for position with each other? ranking your rivals and ignoring me. And that's what we do. We can quote, 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 quote. We just know the word. I just love the word. I just got to get in my word. You got everybody sitting here talking about how much they into the Bible, how much they're into the word, just reading, 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 quoting, 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 yet don't know what it's saying. Won't talk about Jesus who he was, what he was about, how he taught, the life he lived. That's what we were supposed to emphasize. That's what we were supposed to be walking after. We say we want to be like Christ, but we don't want to be like him. Now, isn't that amazing that he noticed that early on? Y'all just all in the book looking. You think the scriptures are going to give you everything you need? It's me that provides that. Did you not know that I am the word? Did you miss it somehow? You think I'm impressed because you can memorize a couple of words? And you can beat somebody over the head because you know some words? I'm not impressed. And then that jockeying for position with each other. We always are trying to up one, trying to show each other how important we are, that we got it all together. And then the ranking your rivals, judging every other sect. Oh, they ain't, they ain't got what we got. Oh, we better than them. This place is better than this place. I got more than this. I got more than you. Man, he just told us stop doing that, and you're ignoring me. How can you get anywhere with God? These are the good Jesus' words. 
But what we do is we have just cut off the beginning of scriptures. And we don't never read the whole thing. We just cutting them off and adding them to other places and just messing up the book like he didn't know where he wanted to put it and in what order. So with all of these scriptures, we somehow keep missing God and what he wanted us to learn. So I began to ponder the issues that I think makes us mistrust God and not develop faith, which is so essential to this whole thing. So I wondered again, does God orchestrate every detail of our lives? Is he responsible for every good and bad thing that befalls us? Now, the good we don't have a problem with. We can say, you know, God bless me. It's when the bad comes, when the trouble comes, that causes us to just say, somehow is this God doing this to me? You know, it's like you say you love me, you're so into me, I'm trying to grasp that and believe that, yet this has come my way. I'm confused. And what we do is just pat people on the back, give them a thank you and a God bless you, and say, well, everything's going to work together for your good, and that's all we can give them. And we keep on stepping. So we've all been left with this pondering because no one wants to say out loud, man, this don't make no sense. I'm not getting this. And Lord, I need you to, you know, help me out. So I searched for the scriptures for evidence that he has orchestrated each of our days because I was taught that. I don't know if anybody else got taught that, but I was taught that he orchestrates our days. That's not in the book. Shut up. in there. It does not say anywhere that he orchestrates each one of our days. Now, it did say that he knows the end from the beginning. It does say that. It does say that he's acquainted with all of our ways. Now, that is very different from orchestrating each and every detail. Knowing stuff is different from making stuff happen. It's the making it happen that we have a problem with. Not that it happened, but you made it uh, that makes me a little iffy on you if you're going to make stuff like that happen to me. See, I didn't find that. I was a little disturbed. Then I looked for, he won't put more of us than we can bear. Darn it, that ain't in there either. That is not a scripture. That is a song. Shut up. Let's see, this is the problem I'm having. Because I'm looking for, and I'm looking. I'm typing in every word possible that could possibly look like this. Not in there. Now, the only thing that's close to it, we get close and then we be making up stuff. Why can't we just stick what it says? The closest to it is 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 that says, there have no temptation taking you, which is common to man. Now, temptation is very different from just mess befalling me. My car getting broken too. Me getting sick. Somebody hurting me. That is not temptation. Temptation I can kind of deal with. Because I could say I had a hand in it. I could have said no. So I'm not saying God is putting this on me. I realize I did that when I partook in whatever I know I shouldn't have partook in. So he doesn't say he would put more on you than you could bear. See, and this is what I'm saying. That we have misquoted. That ain't even a misquote. That's just a made up. But, you know, I think what it is, because we want to be in control, we make up stuff, and it has stuck, because that makes me feel good. 
it makes me feel good to say, okay, if this happened to me, the Lord won't put more on me than I can bear. So I have to be able to go through it. Now, if somebody can find it, maybe I just couldn't find it. But somebody find it, please let me know. But I could not find that. And then we say, you know, like, why would God do that? Because some people done had some mess. I mean, I could probably safely say everyone has had some mess that they say it. I absolutely did not deserve this to happen in my life. So when I go with, well, but God orchestrated every one of your days, and he put all this in your path, well, I'm thinking, well, what kind of Jesus is this? But he didn't say that. We have chosen ignorance, doubt, and lying because we think our loving father won't answer our questions or he'll be offended if we ask them. Because somehow we got taught you're not supposed to question God. You're not supposed to ask him nothing. How dare you? Who do you think you are? Because we missed the forest for the trees in Job's story. We thought that God was mad that he asked him questions. He wasn't even mad about him asking. He was just checking him to let him know who he was. You think that I don't know what I'm doing? You think I don't get this? Now, if Job never would have asked, God never could have schooled him on his beauty. See, we sit there thinking, oh, that's what you, don't you say nothing to God. You just take it and shut up. Well, that's some mean old tyrical father. That ain't the kind of father I got. I got a father that I get to go to, and I get to say, I don't understand. Can you please help me? And he knows my capacity. So he knows I have to ask a couple of times. Some people get it the first time. I need a couple of reminders. Now, he's not angry that I repeated myself. Because he would like me to have some clarity. But the thing is, I really want to understand. Like, I don't want to be doing this just to be doing it. But I really want to get what does he want us to learn? What is he trying to teach us? How does he want our lives to look? If we are his and he is mine and I am one with him, how am I supposed to maneuver through this life? So I stumbled on Psalms 91 because I was looking for, you know, the, the path, that he's directing our path and everything's in our path, and that the plans he has for us, you know, everything is so put together. But then you think about it, he couldn't put every single thing in our lives because that would take a bit of free will out of it. And he's so into free will. So I figured, and this is just me, don't mean it's right, that the many things that come in our lives are just questions that we have to answer. So some bad stuff happened. Now, the question is, how do I handle it? Do I slap God in the face and run the other way? Or do I say, we're going to work this together and let's see? But when you think that he has made everything happen to you, it's a cause and effect thing. So if you cause me to have pain, I'm going to be angry with you. If you cause me to have pain, I'm not going to really like you that much. So the devil has snuck in with us trying to sound extra spiritual. 
with, oh, he got everything under control and he didn't done everything in our lives and we have no say in it. So now I question God's motives. Same old mess he did with Eve. Keep going back to that. If I make you think God's not for you, why would you really love him and trust him and believe in him? Why would you have faith? Because Satan knows that without faith, it's impossible. So only thing he's trying to do is keep snatching our faith. If he can snatch that, he's got us. We think it's the other stuff. Yeah. It's that faith and love and trust that he has to snatch from us. Ah, the sex, the drinking, if you want to drink and not drink, if you want to smoke or not smoke, if you want to go do your thing and all that stuff. We have things we know, but that is not the biggest way the devil comes at us. It is him trying to snatch the very fiber of what God is from us. Because if he can remove that from us, we have nothing. We will just be people that supposedly looking like we're not sinners. And we get to boast on ourselves and say, I don't do that stuff that you people do. I don't touch that kind of stuff. I'm just so holier than thou. But you have no faith, you have no love, you have no trust, and you don't know Jesus. The devil, he's something. So 91 is where I'm going to stay for a minute, just to illustrate my point. Because I really wasn't going here, but this just came, and this is where I'm supposed to be. So I'm going to start with 2 through 15, and I'm going to read that. And it says, God, you're my refuge. I trust in you, and I am safe. That's right. He rescues you from hidden traps, shields you from deadly hazards. His huge outstretched arms protect you. Under them, you're perfectly safe. His arms fend off all harm. Fear nothing. No wild wolves in the night, no flying arrows in the day, no disease that prowls through the darkness, not disaster that erupts at high noon. Even though others succumb all around, drop like flies right and left, no harm will even graze you. You'll stand untouched, watch it all from a distance, watch the wicked turn into corpse. Yes, because God's your refuge, the high God, your very own home. Evil can't get close to you. Harm can't get through the door. He ordered his angels to guard you wherever you go. If you stumble, they'll catch you. Their job is to keep you from falling. You'll walk unharmed among lions and snakes and kick young lions and serpents from the path. If you'll hold on to me for dear life, says God, I'll get you out of any trouble. I'll give you the best of care if you'll only get to know and trust me. Call me and I'll answer. Be at your side in bad times. I'll rescue you, then throw you a party. I'll give you a long life, give you a long drink of salvation. Now we read that, and that's so beautiful. If we could just believe it, oh God. So then here we go, because see, I started finding contradictions. Go to verse 7. It says, even though others succumb all around, drop like flies right and left, no harm will even graze you. But how have we been harmed? 
Because all of us could raise our hand and said we've had some harm. See, I see that as a contradiction. Then if you jump to eight, it says you'll stand untouched, watch it all from a distance, watch the wicked turn into corpse. Them wicked folks are still prospering. <laughs> when the book is going to die? You know, I'm wondering. Just a question. You drop to 10. Evil can't get close to you. Harm can't get through the door. Then how did the evil touch me? And how did I get slapped in the face with the harm again? Then if you go down to 14, it says, if you hold on to me for dear life, I'll get you out of any trouble. But how did I get in the trouble when you said no harm and nothing was supposed to come? When the angels were supposed to keep me from falling, why are we now in trouble together? And then 15, call me and I'll answer. Be at your side in bad times. Again, you said that no harm and nothing was coming my way. Why are we now working together in the bad times? Just me. See, I just like to look at each one and ponder. Because it says in other translations, you know, you'll get me out of trouble and be with me in the trouble. Well, if the angels were doing their job right, <laughs> and all this was working, how did we get ourselves in this mess? See, we're not supposed to be saying this stuff out loud. I, I, I'm so out of the way. Mm, mm, mm. So it appears there's a contradiction. Is this a paradox? Or are we looking at life too much through human lenses and not through God's eyes? Because, see, he says you're seeing, but you don't see. You're hearing all this, you're not hearing me. And remember back, I don't know where it's found, where it said that he wanted to give us his eyes and ears so we could see what he sees and hears what he hears. Is it that he can say that no evil can harm you because he sees it for what it is and knows that though it was formed, it never really prospered? Because what the intent of it was never came to fruition. Though we hurt, we're not going to deny that we've had pain. But what he sees is not what we see. So God is looking at the end more than the middle, perhaps. He's not bothered because he knows and sees the fullness in the ends of our lives. Unfortunately, we're not blessed to have that view. But isn't this what simple faith is all about? That Jesus, ain't he something? For us to trust that the plans he has for us are good and not evil. Now see, he said that the plans I have for you are good and not evil. Yet we have, in our own craziness, put evil on God's plan for us. That me getting my house robbed, because that's evil to me. It was God's plan to teach me what? 
You know what I mean? But we've, we've, you know, um, evil can also, because I went and tried to find out what does evil mean in the Bible? What is he talking about when he says evil? So it's a lot. It was so much. Good Lord. I was going to tell y'all, but it was just way too much. Um, Gee whiz. But evil in the Bible can be disease. Anything that goes against the plan of God, you have moral evil. And so you have all these different evils. Now, why would I believe that God would want evil to touch me when I'm his? To me, that just don't make good sense. That if we stay on God's path, he will deliver us into our intended end. This is what he this is what faith is about. Trusting that whatever he has planned for me is going to come to fruition. Again, I'm back to faith and trust. The big, biggest obstacles in every child's life. It's our biggest obstacles, but we never confess that we don't have faith or that I don't trust God. That's the problem. This is where we all stand, and we're all in this little motion of do I trust him, do I not trust him? Do I believe him, do I not believe him? In my heart, deep down in the recesses of me, even though I sit there and I act like I'm not pondering this, this is what's going on in my head. And if you then add pain and suffering and betrayal to the mix, it almost seems impossible to hold on to the kind of faith that God wanted us to have. Because it's hard to see past what's in my face and to believe that it's all going to be okay in the end. But wouldn't life be so much easier if we could just believe that? If we could just take this chapter for what it said and believe it, how much easier would our lives be? Because this is why God says, you know, I'm just going to give you this peace beyond understanding. I'm going to give you this ease of life. I'm going to give you all this abundance. The reason why we don't have it is because we just simply don't believe. We're stopping ourselves from reaching the climax that God wants us to have. It's not him. So what maybe we need to pray and pray it often, <laughs> is I believe, but God help my unbelief. We should just be honest. I'm reading this. Everything in me wants to believe it. But somehow, can you help my unbelief? Can you help me to see past what's in my face? And give me your eyes so that I can see what you need me to see. Because right now, I I I'm clouded. I'm scared. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. Yet faith is required to please God. If I cannot please him without faith, how do I subdue my humanness and not doubt? The very thing that that's what we are, we just, we just doubt. How do I subdue that and say, okay, I'm not going to give in to that anymore? And I truly believe it is simply a day-by-day, hour-by-hour, minute-by-minute thing that we got to stop trying to take life in such big chunks. That if we could just say, this is right now, this, this moment, 
gonna have faith. And then the next hour, I tell myself again, I'm gonna have faith. Instead of trying to have faith for 20 years, let's break it down into smaller fragments because life is much easier when it's small. Any task is much easier to do when you break it down to small things. If you look that you have a project and you look at the whole project, you say, well, good Lord, I'll never get it finished. But when you start breaking it down to say, I got to do this this day, this this day, you say, I can accomplish that. It's a reason why he told us not to take thought for tomorrow. Why didn't we listen to him? Matthew 6 and 34, he says, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. There's the answer. It is hard. But this is what he simply said. Stop. You're jumping ahead of me. I'm dealing with you right now. I'm trying to show you something right now. In this day. In this hour. I need you to lend yourself to me right now. Because this day is not coming back. Think about how many lessons we've lost. Jumping according all the way up to next month. Well, how's it going to happen? How am I going to deal with it? Well, what's it going to be? Well, how am I going to feel after this? And, oh, man, what if I never get? And I missed what he wanted me to learn just today. Look what we robbed ourselves of. Remember Satan. Still kill, destroy. Still kill, destroy. He's stealing our lessons. He's killing our faith. He's destroying our lives because we refuse to listen to the word of God. Get out of quoting the scriptures. How many times have we quoted this? The evil is sufficient to the day, how the King James Version goes. Y'all know I don't know all this stuff. But how many times have we quoted this? <sighs> Again, you've seen everything, but you've seen nothing. You didn't heard everything, but you ain't heard nothing. Now think about how frustrating that is from God's point of view. Y'all, I didn't told you to sit down and shut up. Take today. Why are you running ahead? When life is broken down again into small fragments, it's easier to obtain. So let's work on getting into finding the God path and the plan that God really has for me. But we miss it because we're running ahead. We sprinting, and he told us to take a little walk. Have him order your steps. And remember, the ordering is by the word. The word is right here. He didn't told us to school it. He didn't told us he's going to take care of us. He's ordering our steps, but we don't care about what the word has to say. We just want to do it our way. For that to occur, for us to know that he's ordering our steps, we have to know the word. 
But what do we know? Doggone songs and cliches and half-quoted stuff. And this is why I can't figure out what God wants for me. And I'm like, well, where are you, Jesus? Well, I didn't told you where I am. Like he said, you're looking through all the scriptures. I'm standing right here. Y'all don't want to come to me. You don't want the Jesus. We have got to stop relying on others to teach us and let the Holy Spirit teach us all things as it promised it would. He said, I'm going away, but I'm sending it back. And it's going to teach you all things and remind you of everything I ever told you. Why don't we know? Has our spirit just been, have we killed it? I mean, have we just lulled the spirit to sleep? Because why haven't we been taught anything? How long we didn't have the spirit supposedly in us? Why don't we have the lessons yet? So if the spirit is there, it's supposed to come back. He's going to remind me, oh, I said that. That's why you're going through here. Let me help you with that. Oh, remember I told you that. that I said that back in, back in the Jesus days. Y'all missed it? Why is our spirit talking to us? We got everybody else talking. We didn't got everybody else's idea of what the Bible's supposed to be for me. That I lost what Jesus wanted to tell me. And I'm not talking about people just being rebellious and crazy. But Jesus wanted to teach us something individually. We all mattered. Our lives mattered to him. So for us to think that he wouldn't come and speak individually to us, all that he did, the price he paid to just be able to give us his spirit, and we like, Psh. So Psalms 91 is not a contradiction. It is a glimpse of the future in present terms. So when evil and harm come my way, I have to be assured that what was intended to destroy me will never occur. It looks and feels bad, but what was intended has already been canceled. So we need to get to where we can say, in all things I give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning me. Not the evil, but that he blocked what was intended for me. The evil wasn't supposed to be in my path. But the will of God is that he is going to catch me. See, we think we already have fallen, but we haven't fallen. We think we hit the ground, but we haven't hit it. Think of like Superman. When you think of Lois Lane and she's fallen, and you, you know she's thinking, shoot, you know, I'm on the top of this building and this and you keep falling and falling, you think you hit the ground, but you guys, we haven't. The angel is picking us back up. See, we think it's worse than what it is because we don't see it the way God sees it. So we have let, we have stepped out of the arm of protection of God, and we're looking under, we got out the shadow. Andre talked about that many retreats ago about the shadow and how the devil cast this shadow of something being worse than what it is, it's all an illusion. 
we bought into the devil's schemes. See, you thought that you losing your job was a ploy of Satan. And he's going to now get you because now you, you got to pay your bills. But if you would not get mad at God for that moment and step back and say, show me what you want me to see, we would see something completely different. But what happens is we immediately go to, dang, God, you didn't fail me again. I can't believe this mess. I've been doing this and trying to get this together, and you done brought this to me? I get sick, and I'm thinking, you know, why I got to be the one? But God is like, there's something in this I need you to see. See, because the evils and the disease and all this stuff is just in the world. This is the world we live in. Bad stuff is going to happen to us. Why are we blaming God, though? Why not put it where it's supposed to be? And say, I know you got something way better for me. Now, is this easy to do? Not at all. Especially we're in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering. It is hard to get a godly view. That is the time when we have to really press and find God and not let the devil have a bigger voice than God. Stay with the day. What happens is when that stuff comes, we get out of the day, the 24-hour day. We get into everything else. And he says, but I got something for you today. I need to teach you. I want to talk to you. I want to whisper to you. But you're like, but wait a second, what's going to happen next month? Oh, I need you to stop. Because today, I got something I need to share. God's word is not void because he sees it worked out for my good. He sees the devil's schemes canceled and ineffective. He knows that he has already won. The devil tempted him too. And what sustained him was the fact that God knew the word. The devil said this, this, Satan, shut up. And I'm even say that. You messing stuff up. And it also says this, but we can't do that because we don't know nothing. We sitting here quoting to the devil songs. And them songs don't do nothing to the devil. Or we have quoted it, and the devil know more word than we know. So he like, dude, y'all ain't got nothing. <laughs> and that's why he can beat us up. So think about it. We we getting attacked, and we like, the Lord ain't gonna put more than we can bear. And he's like, tearing us up. We must remember that this fight is really about God and Satan. But you know, we're so selfish. <laughs> and we think the world is always just about us. Think about it. The worst thing you can do to a good parent is hurt their child. And the worst thing you can do to a good husband is hurt their spouse. This is why he attacks us, because he's just trying to hurt God. It's really not about us. They've been in this fight for a long time. 
they just they just it's about them. Even Job. Though we use that as our, you know, example of every tragedy that comes or whatever and how we're supposed to act, that was really about God and Satan. It really wasn't had nothing to do with Job, you know, you could say unfortunately, poor Job got thrown in the middle of it. But it was about God and Satan. Remember, we're not fighting these human forces. It's the spirit behind them. But if we don't have a spirit view, how can we defeat it? We can't. So we playing with, you know, pots and pans, and the devil got a whole itinerary. He just shooting us up, and we trying to throw rocks. The devil keeps trying to get us to hurt God by mistrusting him. But God keeps dismissing his plans and working out his evil for our good. For we wrestle not with flesh, but the spirit. This is why God tells us to stay on his path in course and under his arms so he can provide divine protection from the enemy. If we use the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were doing the right thing. These folks didn't do nothing. They wouldn't bow. They were doing the right thing. They refused to worship the false god. They got thrown into the furnace to be burned up. Now, we know the story. God stepped into the fire. They didn't get hurt, right? So when our trouble comes and evil sneaks in as it will, when disease befalls us, because we're going to all probably get sick at some point in time in our life, we have to stop accusing God of not being there and instead ask him to show himself standing with us in the fire. But we're so mad at him that we don't even want him to stand with us because I think he made it happen. You see how that was just the satanic ploy? Just that little thing. Just throw in that God made everything happen to us. So we need to see the light so we can see the path that he has prepared for us. But we have to believe that he will do it. I think the key to their story was that they truly believed God would do it. Our problem is we just don't believe. We can quote it, it sounds good, but we don't believe it. And even when they said that if he doesn't deliver us, I know he can, they believe that. We quote it just because it sounds good, but we don't even really believe it. So the devil gets us because he throws the arrows and put snakes in our paths, and he tells us that God's motives are impure and that he made this happen to us. So why would you trust God? Why would you believe he loves you? And we buy into it. We say, all right, Satan, you're right. He can't be trusted is what Satan keeps telling us. And then we step out of God's protection. Satan then lines up 10 more darts to assassinate us. And why can some of them hit us? Because we step out the protection. Because the devil sees that we've taken off the full armor of God. We didn't took all pieces. He says, put on this armor and this is how you can protect yourself from Satan. And what do we do? We leave pieces at home. So we wonder why we're getting hit and attacked because we took off the armor. It was so simple. He said, put it on. 
I'm giving you all the keys you need, but you people refuse to listen to a doggone thing I say. The beauty, though, God always lets us back in. You step out, come on back. Now, you're coming back with a couple of holes because some darts penetrated you. But he says, come on back. Let's work it out again. Let me see what I can do for you. So let's go back to Psalms 91, and I'm almost finished. Now, 91 begins with a precondition for God's care. He says, this is who can say this. Verse 1. See, we miss stuff because we read too quick. You who sit down in the high God's presence, and you spend the night in Shaddai's shadow. We don't stay in God's presence. We not spending the night with Jesus. We coming for our word too, and then we lead the man, if he even came. So I don't know God. So I can't say this stuff about him because I don't know him to be this for me. In 14, he says, if you hold on to me for dear life, I will get you out of trouble. I will give you the best of care if you only get to know and trust me. We stop holding on to Jesus and we start holding on to what we think is going to save us. Our own ideas, our stuff that we think has gotten us to where we are. And then we say, well, Jesus, where are you? He's like, well, you let me go many, many steps ago. Why are you blaming me? Call me and I'll answer you. Be at your side in bad times. I'll rescue you and then throw you a party. We don't even call him. And why are we not calling him is because we think he done screwed our lives up. Why am I going to call you when you didn't mess the whole thing up? So he ain't answering, and we just sitting there by ourselves, thinking us coming to church is us calling God. Us sitting in the pew is holding on to God. God had it a little different in his head of what it's supposed to look like. A lot more deeper than that. If we can stay in God's presence and remain in the shadow of God, if we get to know him, we will trust him. We will continue to see and hear what God has planned for us. Sometimes in life we have to come to the conclusion that he is God and I am not. You don't get to understand everything. But we, we're arrogant is what it is. And we're so self-righteous that we are offended that there's knowledge that God has that he hasn't bestowed to us. For Isaiah, it says in 55 and 8, I don't think the way you think. The way you work isn't the way I work. And we mad at God for that. How dare you say your ways are far from my ways? That's what the King James Version says. I don't think like you people. Don't you get that I'm smarter than you? That the plans that I have are way bigger than what you could ever dream of? 
would you really want the God to be like you? I mean, goodness, but this is what we want. I mean, that's like when people say you want a president that's like you. No, I don't. I don't think I'm capable of running this whole country. I want him to be smarter than me. A little more educated in many different things than I am. I want my Lord to have way more intelligence than me and not act the way I act, good Lord. But we want Jesus to act like us. So I pondered and questioned the ways of God. He gently leads me back to the fact that he loves me more than I could ever imagine. We gotta hold on to that. That his love is so powerful. And whenever we slip away from his profound love, we always miss him. Whenever there's a day, an event that happens in your life, and you begin to think God doesn't love me, know that that is Satan. He loves us more than we could ever imagine. And although he cannot block every wicked thing, he steps in there with us and defeats, excuse me, defeats the works of Satan every time. Every time it's defeated because his word can't lie. My job simply is to trust and worship God. Simply my job. And trust he got the whole thing figured out. Remember he said that he is gonna present us faultless. He's doing all the work. Why are we working so hard? All we gotta do is trust he got us. Worship him and praise him for who he is. That's all he wants. He's really not asking a lot. For me to get to know him, he just wants to be known. Because the more I learn of him, the less I question. The more I say, I got to get to know who you are your character, your scriptures, your word, in context, the less I question him, the less I'm angry. Because I say he's God. That was supposed to be a big thing. But we've gotten so used to being in this and just flip it off. Oh yeah, Jesus, God's with me. God. I mean, do we get how big that is? And then the fact that his very spirit is in us? All of who God is is in us? Why do we want to forget that point? See, I'd rather focus on that than focus on that he's a judge and he's angry and he's out to get me. See, that's all the devil stuff. I'm not falling to that mess no more. He loves me. He gave me his entire essence to keep me in this journey. And then he has blocked Satan from being able to attack me. Do you know what the devil wants to do to us? Steal, kill, destroy, he ain't playing. 
but we're here. And we got a testimony to tell. And we make that small because we are listening to the devil. I am convinced that he is working far more diligently than we ever give him credit for. We think we got the devil. Well, I didn't resist the devil and he'll flee. Y'all, <laughs> because how can you resist him when you don't know you? You resist, you gotta go towards Jesus. We keep running towards the wrong way. It's like the robbers after us and we keep turning towards him and say, okay, take me out. The more I praise him, the more I realize that the scriptures point to him. And we've got to get to the fact that all we want is him. Just him. No more being moved and shoved and taking on everybody else's ideas, but finding God for ourselves. What's so wrong with that? And I'm not saying that other people can't teach you. I mean, look what I'm doing. I'm up here trying to teach you about God. But I would never want you to take exactly what I said and just run with it. It's not about me finding these words. It's about me hopefully empowering you to go find it for yourself. And then you to come back and tell me, but you know what? I read Isaiah 91, and let me tell you what the Jesus told me. And your words that he spoke to you are not less than mine, even though they may be different. They are just as powerful, for you are his child as I am. But see, that's the ploy of Satan, to get us fighting about what Jesus spoke to me. And I'm sitting here shunning you. We're supposed to be tied together. We're supposed to be all in one body, lifting each other up, edifying one another. Saying, girl, did he tell you that? That is amazing. But no, we like, mm, she think God talking to her? He ain't talking to you. Because he don't talk to you don't mean he ain't talking to me. I'm sorry you don't have that kind of relationship with him. But I would like you to get it because it's mighty profound. And the Psalms ends with this. 16. I will give you a long life, give you a long drink of salvation. So what is salvation? In biblical usage, salvation describes the full range of divine activity in physical and spiritual deliverance, both past, present, and future. See, and we get caught up sometimes in the past. Because some of us have had some hellish upbringings. And I tell you how I first, let me hear me shut up so I can not keep you all night. But how I first started pondering this stuff is because of my schooling. And I started and I, you know, went into, my whole aim was, you know, to protect children from being abused. And watching, you know, you watch the videos and you watch, they hear the stories and it, it's so mind boggling to me. And I always questioned when that person comes to get saved and we tell them God has orchestrated your life, I always wondered how does that person 
fall in love with God. Because why would I love a God that would do this? I could never get my mind around it. Because he didn't. I was in the hands of people. People that weren't walking in tune with God. And then when I was, if I'm in the hands of somebody who is in tune with God, but evil creeps in. Devilment happens. See, because I mean, my, my background is, is, is sexual abuse. Physical abuse. How is this happening and it's okay? How is this God orchestrating? I, I just couldn't, I, I, I stumbled with that. So I'm always asking the Lord, you know, this is before I got this close to him. Why are you doing this? I mean, why wouldn't you protect innocence? You, you're troubling me with this one. But it's not him doing it. It's just evil that's out there. In the same way he cannot make us do right, he can't stop evil from happening. Because if he stopped evil from happening, he would take away free will. And this whole walk is about free will. The whole walk is about that. Because he wanted us to choose him. And you get to choose whatever you want. Like I said before, life is just questions. Where do you choose to go? Who do you choose to side up with? Some people have just sided up with Satan so they can harm innocence because they've sided up with Satan. But he delivers, my salvation delivers me from that past. Because what was intended, it didn't happen. Though I may be marred and I may have a scar, but what that person intended to do to me, oh, they couldn't get it. Because God came in and scooped me up. Broke the fall. See, that, see, when we think about it like that, I'm a little more in love with the man. He gets a little bit more beautiful to me. I'm like, I can hang with you. Yeah, we can trust each other now. See, that was Satan trying to make me think that my God would want innocence to be harmed. Ah, that devil. Why do we buy into it? Back to my salvation definition. Okay, so we have the salvation describes the full range of divine activity in physical and spiritual deliverance, both past, present, and future. It includes and integrates other more specific terms, such as justification, redemption, reconciliation, regeneration, sanctification, and the final deliverance from death and judgment into the life to come. All this is salvation. So when we make salvation be just Acts 2.38, just the entrance, ah, oh, we've missed salvation. Because salvation, he was giving us, he said, and, and he's going to give us a long cup of salvation. I'm just going to let you drink on it all day. 
So all this deliverance is taking place. We stopped drinking. We took the first couple of sips and we set the cup down. We didn't know it was overflowing. And it never ended because it's going all the way up to the future. God has equipped us with all we need. We are living like it isn't already settled in heaven. The salvation process is technically over from God's point of view. Remember we were justified and we already got to the glorify. Why are we acting like we ain't been glorified yet? Why can't we kind of rest in the fact that, oh, because then we, we get scared. See, we don't want to give people that much because we think that if I tell you you already there and then God already sees you sitting in heavenly places, you're going to act a fool. No, I won't act a fool because I'm thinking about how much he loves me and the fact that he didn't already got me there. Well, I don't want to lose that because we don't trust love. That's what it's all about. If we can live in remembrance of this fact that the devil has no power over us. So again, I'm gonna ask you, what kind of ground has God's word fallen on for you tonight? Has Satan already snatched these truths from you? And in your mind and spirit, you were holding on to the idea that God still can't be trusted because X, Y, and Z has happened? Or are you the one who gets caught up in the atmosphere and you're convinced for the moment that he is trustworthy. But when trouble comes, you will let go of God and turn back to Satan. Or will you let the past, the present, and the thought of future stresses keep you wholeheartedly, I'm sorry, keep you from gaining what God wants you so desperately to get? What kind of ground are you? Or will you have wholeheartedly embraced this Believe it and allow God to produce a harvest in you that goes beyond your wildest dreams. See, the beauty is we get to choose. Free will. What will you choose? And that's why I said, who do you believe? Because it's your choice of what you want to believe. And I'm going to end with Proverbs 20 and 24. And Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. Proverbs 20 and 24 says, Since the Lord is directing our steps, why try to understand everything that happens along the way? Since he's doing it, helping us out, why are we trying to understand it all? At Jeremiah 29 and 11, I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. When you call on me, when you come and pray to me, I'll listen. When you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and wanting more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. God's decree. So who do you believe, God or Satan?